You're listening to the weekly podcast by Forest Hill Church. Here you'll find a place to grow in your faith, get to know what the Bible's all about, and hear what it looks like to follow Christ. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org. If you're a parent, search for our new Forest Hill Parenting Podcast and subscribe to get new content tailored just for you. I think there's two types of depression. One type of depression is the one that a lot of us can identify with, and that's the, uh, the hopeless sadness um, that we feel in seasons of life. But there's also the, the physical um, affliction on the mind. I began to experience both types of that, that kind of depression, and it, it really began to rear its head around the time that I was 19. From an early age, what I had to offer was uh, musical, and uh, there was a shine to that, and so that's what I gave, and I gave all of it. And so fast forward several years, and my musical gifts and my calling in Christ have led me here to Forest Hill to become a worship leader at our South Park campus. And on a Saturday night after I led worship, and had a wonderful service. Um, I remember going home and before I knew it, I found myself in a bathtub with my clothes on and a razor sitting next to me. And uh, what I experience is this feeling of just crashing into this infinite volume of water. It's disorienting. Um, I can't find which direction is up. And so there's this constant struggle to um, get away from that foreignness back to a place of normality where people are and where I can give again. I wanted them to experience those truths that Jesus loves them and that there's joy and life in Christ And then I would snap right back into a season of depression and realize I believed it for everyone except for me. I think with all of my years with Jesus walking side by side, I still could not understand who he really, really was. You know, God is light. And how could I have found myself in this deep, dark water? I found myself in that same bathtub with that same razor two more times. I confided um, that information with my wife, uh, Sarah, who began to implement the process of healing in my life. And so we sought out uh, professional help and it was there that we realized that I had a chemical imbalance in my brain that needed to be addressed. And once we began the healing process physically, the healing process spiritually and emotionally was able to begin. And friends, um, pastors, um, confidants, um, brothers and sisters in Christ began to rally around me um, to remind me of biblical truth and also the fact that I am not alone and I am not too far gone. 
I began to realize that sometimes God calls us from places that we don't expect. I am not completely healed. This is a process, but I now realize this is a process that God is walking side by side with me in. My whole life, every breath, is a response to the love and forgiveness and grace of God through Jesus Christ. The ocean that I have felt completely encompassed by has become a quiet place where God and God's voice only can reach my heart. Man, our Heavenly Father loves us so much that He is not afraid of the depths to come get us. Maybe this water is not something that God is trying to teach me how to tread or to escape, but maybe this water is somewhere where He is trying to create something brand new in me. And so He is taking His time to teach me that as a new creation, He is all the air that I need. Hey, church, isn't that uh, amazing? You know, uh, I think I believe I can speak for all of us that uh, Mike's demonstration of vulnerability, humility, and courage is a true testament of God's faithfulness, love, grace, and mercy in his life. Well, my name is Jonathan Matos. I am the campus pastor for the Saw Boulevard campus. Uh, it's located about five minutes from here. And as I introduce myself, I thought I'd also introduce my family to you. I got a picture here of my family to show you guys. In a minute now, there it is. That's my beautiful wife, Stephanie. We've been married for about uh, eight years uh, now, going on nine. Known each other for about 16 years. And yes, those are my, that's our wonderful inheritance that God has given us. Uh, Sophia, Abigail, Stella, and Luciana. Yes, four girls, five women reign in my life. Uh, it's truly a testament of God's, uh, the, that God has a sense of humor. Um, so everybody's reaction is always laughter. Wow, you got four daughters. Uh, but also, if you, if you came here today and you didn't believe in miracles, you can now believe that God still does miracles. Because the fact that that woman married me is one of God's greatest miracles in my life. Also thought while I, while I was here, I'd give you guys an update in regards to what's going on on South Boulevard campus. We are the body of Christ. And um, it is composed of 20 nations from everywhere from Central, South America, Europe, Asia, and uh, the two main heart languages that are spoken in the campus is, is English and Spanish. And as a result, I have the privilege of preaching the message every Sunday at 11.15 in Spanish. And just the same way we have a video venue here at South Park, the Karis Room, David is live uh, in English preaching as well. We do that because we want to strive to be truly be one church, regardless of language, regardless of culture, to truly just be one church. So I encourage you to come visit. The, uh, the worship is completely bilingual. Um, and I uh, want to give you a heads up. If you do happen to go and visit, the message is a week in delay. So you might get a good review to make sure you understood what David said the week before. 
Um, but the reason why we do that is because as God goes before God praying, Father, what message do you have for the body of Christ here at Forest Hill Church? Uh, 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 Weekend Delay allows me to kind of see what God is speaking in his heart, take the theme of the message, take the scripture, and also contextualize it so that it meets the people at South Boulevard where they currently are. So that way after the service, no matter if you heard David or myself, different message, but at the same time, the same message, and people can do life together and share how God is speaking speaking to them in message and in worship. And I also wanted to thank you um, for your faithful giving of tithes and offerings and also your sacrificial giving. Now we're a congregation that's just short under 200 people and God is doing amazing things in the community of South Boulevard. So please round of applause for yourselves uh, for giving towards that cause. So today we're going to be speaking about rejection that leads to depression. Rejection that leads to depression. And as uh, we're in the middle of a series called You Are Here. And it's uh, talking about those damaged, broken emotions that happen within us. Of course, we have our brokenness, we have our frailty, we have our sinful nature. Coupled with the brokenness of this world, when those two things collide and clash, it creates these broken emotions that many times we don't know what to do. We don't know how to deal with them. And they keep us from living an abundant life. They impact our relationships. They impact how we see things. They impact how we respond to people. They impact how we choose to love or not love people. So this message today, we're going to be looking at the word of God through the life of John the Baptist and see how to respond to this broken emotion of rejection that leads oftentimes to depression. So before reading the scripture, I want to give everybody some context in regards to the life of John the Baptist. If, if you aren't familiar, maybe this will be a review for you. If not, this will be new for you. But in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1, 400 years before his birth, there is a prophecy of the fact that John is going to be born, that he is coming. 700 years before his birth, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 3 through 5, there's a prophecy 700 years before his birth of his calling, of the special predestined calling that John was going to have. He is the product of a miracle birth. He is a miracle child given to two barren parents that were already elderly in age, never had kids, were still praying. The angel Gabriel came down to Zechariah and told Zechariah, guess what? God has heard your prayers and he's given you a son and his name is John. Uh, we can also... At birth, he was also given the Nazarite vow, meaning that his life was going to be solely dedicated to God. And then there were three outward signs that demonstrated that somebody was following this Nazarite vow. Pretty much they could never, ever cut their hair, so they had great long locks. Um, also... Um, they could not touch a dead carcass. They had to remain pure. They could not drink any wine or any fermented drink. Their life was solely dedicated to follow and glorify and honor God. And that way everybody was able to know that as well. We can believe that John the Baptist was a blood relative of Jesus. Um, his mother Elizabeth was related to Jesus' mother Mary. So John, John the Baptist can say, hey, man, Jesus, that's my cousin. Ain't that cool to say that Jesus was your cousin? I think so. Um, John the Baptist had this great success within his ministry, you know, calling, paving the way, baptizing many people, thousands of followers. He had great, great success. He was a man of immense, immense faith. He told the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the religious and leaders of Israel at that time, he called them a brood of vipers. Because they would not repent and they thought that they would be saved because of their ethnic heritage. 
this privileged man, he got the privilege to baptize the Messiah, to baptize Jesus Christ. What am I saying? He knew his identity. John the Baptist was confident in the call that God has placed in his life and in in how he came into this world and what God was doing in him. He knew his identity. John 3.30 says that he must increase and I must decrease. John the Baptist allowed all his followers to go ahead and follow Jesus now. So the scripture I'm going to read now is going to be John the Baptist while he's locked up in jail. And but in reverence of the reading of the word of God, if you could please stand. I want to remind everybody that as a church, we are submitted under the authority of the word of God, that this is the inerrant word of God that is free from errors and that every message that's preached from this stage is founded on the very word of God. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 28. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me." When John's messages had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go on to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of a woman, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. And from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53.3, a a prophecy of the prophet Isaiah foretelling how Jesus would be received in the emotions that he would experience in this world. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The word of the Lord, please be seated. So here's John, a man of strong faith, fearless, knew his identity. He knew his identity was God and knew God had his hand on him all the days of his life. He was preparing for this calling that God had given him. But all of a sudden, John gets thrown in jail. John, with such conviction, looks at King Herod, who was king at the time of Israel, and says, King Herod, you cannot marry your brother, you cannot marry your brother's wife. King Herod didn't want to hear that, so what did he do? He threw John in jail. So let's imagine for a moment perhaps what John, the, the emotions that John was going through. He was probably thinking to himself, no big deal. I'm Jesus' cousin. I mean, I got these prophecies of me 407 years before my birth. God has his hand on me. I am this miracle child given to barren parents. Now, I'm not saying John was pompous, 
But John knew his identity. He had a very, very strong faith. It probably didn't phase him at all at first. But then something happens. Days go by. Months go by. A year goes by. You know, Rome had yet to uh, renovate the jail cells in uh, Israel. It wasn't a good, hospitable environment. Then all of a sudden his disciples are reporting back to him. The Pharisees are rejecting Jesus. The Sadducees are rejecting Jesus. The Sanhedrin is rejecting Jesus. The people are rejecting Jesus. So now the questions begin to stew inside the head of John the Baptist. Why am I still in here? Have I not fulfilled my call? Did I do something wrong? I mean, I'm no saint, but I've been devoted to God my entire life. Why am I still here? Am I who they said I was? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one we've been waiting for? Did I lead all these people astray? Then the broken emotions begin to weigh in. The unanswered questions, the fact that he's been there for well over a year, questioning his identity, questioning his call, and these emotions that unanswered questions and this feeling of rejection begin to weigh in so, so heavily. Gets to the point that it is unbearable. Gets to the point where he's feeling the strong, strong rejection to the extent where he takes two of disciples and he sends them to Jesus and says, hey, are you the one or she would be looking for another? Folks, the feeling of rejection. A few things that I want to share, and the first thing is that a person's rejection does not define you. Now, Jesus Christ did not reject John the Baptist, but King Herod definitely rejected John the Baptist. The people rejected John the Baptist for speaking truth, and John's lack of understanding, his broken sinful nature, his frailty, his unanswered questions, coupled with the environment that he was currently in, was making him feel pretty rejected. Imagine thinking to yourself, am I not called to pave the way? Why is Jesus out there doing his ministry? Why is he doing all these things? But yet I'm in here. God, what is going on? Did I do something wrong? Perhaps even questioning his own identity. Rejection will happen. But we have to remember that the person that matters the most is the one that loves us the most, and that is God. If you are here today and you love and you follow Jesus and you love the Lord, then I want you to let you know that you are going to experience, experience rejection. But these are momentary bumps of the road. We have to remember our identity in Christ, that we are son of a king. Jesus loves us. And when we do experience that rejection, we always have to remember that, guess what, the person that matters the most loves us the most. And if you are here today and you don't believe in Jesus or have yet, you have yet to make that step to follow Jesus, I want to let you know that God the Father has the Holy Spirit who is also God who is constantly pursuing you, constantly surrounding you, trying to get you to have an encounter with Jesus. If you are here today, it's not by coincidence. The Holy Spirit has led you here so that you can have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Unmet expectations can lead 
to feeling rejected. We can believe that John the Baptist had unmet expectations of God and of Jesus. Hey, I'm his cousin. I have I, these prophecies. My goodness, I know, who, I know what I've done. Why am I still in here? If he's out proclaiming the coming, the coming of the kingdom of God, why am I not there side by side with him? I mean, I leaped in my mother's womb when I was next to Jesus. I know it's him, but why am I still here? What have I done? You know, we do the same. We have unmet expectations. Um, oftentimes, my bride, between me and my bride, she has, I, she has many unmet expectations when it comes to me. I don't doubt that one bit. I mean, there's oftentimes where I go up to her and I'm like, hey, baby, what's wrong? What happened? Well, I expected you to do A, B, C, and D. And I was like, well, why didn't you tell me? Well, I should have to tell you. You should know. <laughs> of course, right? You know, I just remember something that um, I'm probably going to be in trouble when I go home because normally I say this in Spanish and she doesn't understand nothing. So I can get away with a lot of stuff. But pray for me because I'm going to get it now. So in the book of Isaiah, it says that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts um, his thoughts are not our thoughts. So our views are limited. So we have to temper our expectations. But it's crazy how we have these expectations of God and we don't even know his word. We have these strong expectations, what we think God should do for us and with us, but we don't even study and know what his word says. I want to encourage you to know the word of God. And even if you know the word of God, still temper your expectations because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And here's the encouraging thing, that whatever you can desire for yourself would always fall short in comparison to what God has in store for you. So whenever you feel that sense of rejection of something that's not meant, know that guess what? I'm glad I don't know what it is because that means whatever God has in store for me is way, way better. We have to remember, and I think David said it best, that when the world gives you this rejection, that God is so faithful when we follow him, that that rejection leads to his protection. God uses all things for our good. The feeling of rejection is real. Guys, listen, we're going to go through that feeling of rejection. Those broken emotions are going to happen. All those damaged emotions are going to happen. But we need to realize that just because we go through them doesn't mean that we lack belief in Jesus. Doesn't mean that we're less of a Christian. Doesn't mean that we lack in faith. It is a process that we go through. And God uses all the brokenness of this world to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. So as you're going through it, realize that God can use this for his glory to conform me into the image of Jesus to fulfill the reason for what I was created. Jesus loves us. We have to keep our eyes on him. We have to always remind ourselves that the scriptures are a love letter of him constantly reminding us how much he loves us. The opposite of rejection is love and God is the source of all love. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, what will we choose to do with these damaged emotions? What will we choose to do with this rejection? Our choices can either lead to freedom or they can lead to depression. We can choose to move the focus upward to God and surrender it to him. We have a choice. We can't control 
when we experience rejection. I'm going to tell you, you're going to experience rejection if you haven't experienced it yet. But we can choose how we respond to it. This depression, when we allow these broken emotions to simmer, they become a weight. We start asking questions. We start questioning ourselves, our identity. Do people love us? Do they? Do they not love us? Why did they reject me? Am I not good enough? All these unanswered questions become such a weight to the point that they become comfortable. I can't surrender. It becomes part of my identity. And I just don't know what to do, so I'm just going to embrace it and suffer. That is depression. But you have a choice to move the focus of these damaged emotions from yourself to Jesus. It is not a weight that you must bear. The purpose of your creation is to become one with God. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he invites us into that intimate and dynamic relationship. One God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and insert your name. You were created by him for him to enter into that dynamic relationship. Remember, it's his story. It's not about you. It's about him, and you are one with him, and that is all that matters. When we understand that, that, and we surrender our lives to Jesus, and we choose to follow, then we will begin to understand that we're living a life that glorifies and honors him. So how do we live a life that glorifies and honors God? First and foremost, the thing that honors and glorifies God the most is when you are reconciled to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. God created you, in his, created you in his image, and when you are reconciled to him, that is the greatest thing that glorifies and honors him, when you become one with him. The second thing that most glorifies and honors him is when you allow the Holy Spirit who's inside of you, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit uses you to reach out to your neighbor and allow your neighbor to be reconciled through the encounter of Jesus Christ that they had in you. You fulfill two things. First and foremost, you fulfill the great commandment to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Then you fulfill the great commission to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This response is a life that lives for eternity. See, oftentimes we think that eternity happens when this body dies. That is completely false. Eternity begins when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That's when eternity lives. And when you begin to live for eternity, no matter what happens in this world, no matter what brokenness you feel, no matter what damaged emotions, no matter what happens, you know it will be okay because you know that you are the son of God or the daughter of God and you are now living for eternity. So 40, 50, 60, 70 years, 70 years pff, whatever, I'm living for eternity and God's got me in the middle of my brokenness. And somehow, way, he's going to use this so that somebody else can come to get to know him. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? I hope so. Make a choice and move to God in faith. Now, there are going to be times when you can't take it to God on your own. There are going to be times when you can't take it to God on your own. And that is where the body of Christ comes into play. That is where the church comes into play. That's where family comes into play. That's where caring counseling comes into play. That's where physicians 
come into play. And we see that in the testimony that Mike gave us, that there are situations like clinical depressions where there's some forms of neurological and chemical imbalances, physiological conditions that don't allow us to take it to Jesus. And we need the body of Christ to rally around side of us. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus Christ, that God himself can't just heal us like that from our condition. I'm not saying that at all. But there are times when God wants the church to rally around an individual who can't take it to him by himself and there's something beautiful that happens. The person is edified and you're edified as well because you're walking alongside that person through their brokenness. You see, we, these bodies are broken. They are. And there are times these conditions that doctors can't help alongside of that. Now, on the flip side, there are many people that abuse things. But that's why it's so important to come to the body of Christ. We have Christian counselors here who can refer us to Christian physicians who can properly assess our condition. If you think you find yourself in that season of life or in that condition, please reach out. You don't have to do it alone. In the same way Mike didn't have to do it alone. So ask the questions but surrender the answers. Ask the questions but surrender the answers. So John the Baptist's question was not inappropriate. It wasn't. You know, he asked the question, he's in a moment of weakness, he has all these broken emotions, he's questioning everything. He has the privilege to ask these questions because it is our relationship. So he sends two of his disciples to Jesus. Now this teaches us something very, very important. Folks, you can go to God with your questions. You can go. You can ask him anything you want. You have that privilege. It doesn't even matter if you're doubting or not. You can go before God and know that he is faithful to hear you. But you know what? you got to surrender the answer. You have to choose God more than you want the answer. You need to choose God more than you want the healing. You need to choose God and desire God more than what you're asking of him. He wants to be first in your life in every aspect. And guess what? He deserves it. He didn't have to create you, but he did. But he did in his image to be one with him. And I love Jesus' response to John the Baptist. Jesus could have responded in many ways. He could have been like, oh, ye of little faith. Oh, how, how are you going to doubt? You have these prophecies of you. Come on, you're this miracle child. You knew your parents were barren and like 120 years old when they had you. I'm joking. They weren't 120. I don't know how old they were. But you get the point. But Jesus' response says, hey, go back and report to John everything that you are seeing. Now, John didn't get the answer he wanted. Because he really wanted to find out, hey, man, why am I in here, dude? Like, really, I'm your cousin. Like, what's going on? But he got an answer. He knew who Jesus was, who he said he was. He, he was seeking affirmation. And in receiving that affirmation, he surrendered his life. He surrendered all. You know, Jesus on Calvary's cross, his response was also, also to surrender. Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, when he was on the cross, receiving all the sin of the world, all the brokenness, all the broken emotions, the weight of the world, past, present, and future, all those sins and broken emotions and doubts were all on Jesus. The greatest weight that you can ever imagine. And what did Jesus say? My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? See, Jesus asked the question. Jesus wasn't doubting God. He is God. He's known the Father for all eternity. But in his moment of weakness, he went to God seeking affirmation. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? See, Jesus had never experienced what it was to be separated from God. And for that brief moment, he experienced it. And it was the most painful thing that he could ever experience. But he, even he asked a question seeking affirmation from his father. We're entitled to ask the questions, but we have to surrender the response. 
So I'm originally from uh, Brooklyn, New York. Um, my parents are both born in Mayagüez, Puerto Rico. I'm kind of like this weird hybrid first generation because um, I spent half of my childhood in Puerto Rico and then the other half in Brooklyn. Um, and so when I speak on either side, you know, I, have, I, I don't have an accent. Normally I scare people either way. Um, when I start speaking a language, they're like, oh, I didn't know you spoke the language. But that's, uh, and, and my parents are both born in Mayagüez, Puerto Rico. And my father comes from uh, this Christian background, a very uh, uh, poor area of Puerto Rico. And he saw in his life that if you were a Christian, you were hungry, starving, you had ailments. And he was like, you know what, if that's what it means to be a Christian, well, I don't want to follow Jesus. So he made an early decision to not follow Jesus and pursue the creation. He wanted to be defined by the possessions, the money, the title, the prestige that comes along with attaining the, the things of this world. My mother grew, uh, grew up with a single parent. Catholic background, but they were Catholic because their great-great-great-grandmother was Catholic, so that's why she thought she was Catholic. Uh, and really, and they practiced, you know, Santeria, witchcraft. They had no idea they were practicing witchcraft. They thought it was Catholicism. So here's this, uh, these two amazing individuals, right, um, clueless in regards to what the covenant of marriage is, so they decide to get married, right? I mean, a, a massive debacle waiting to happen, and sure enough, that's exactly what it was. Uh, my biological father decided to physically, mentally, and spiritually abuse my mother in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. My mother at one point dropped 80 pounds in weight. She was pregnant with me, and she contemplating aborting me. And her best friend begged her, please don't abort him. She just made the decision to not abort me, and she prayed to God to ask God to give her a son. And, you know, I don't believe in co coincidences because she named me Jonathan. And Jonathan means in Hebrew, given by God, a gift from God. That's what God gave my mother. So that, that marriage um, ended up breaking up. My father ended up leaving my mother and continued to pursue self-fulfillment. Um, he ended up remarrying again and had uh, seven children. Um, his eldest son, he considered that child his, um, his firstborn. Completely rejected our eldest brother who's from a, different, uh, from a previous relationship that he had. Rejected my sister and me. My eldest brother to this day suffers with rejection and depression wondering why his father rejected him. Wondering why his father did not want a relationship with him. My, my sister for years suffered with depression and rejection wondering why her father did not want a relationship with her. I myself, if I'm honest, I didn't experience that the heaviness of rejection and depression because I had never had met him. However, my mother in her brokenness, never dealing with the, 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 the wounds that have that, that, that happened, she was a woman that had the mentality of a 16-year-old essentially because of what she had experienced, the abuse that she had experienced. She would constantly remind me as I was growing up, you know, I almost aborted you, right? When I was at the age of 21, she looked at me and, and this was as a result that as I was getting older, the way that I looked was constantly prying into the wounds that she had that were never healed. She had yet to receive Jesus Christ as her, as her Lord and Savior. And as she saw me, she looked at me at 21, she says, do you want to know why I hate you so much? Because you're just like your father. So I had choices to make. I had some decisions to make. And the first decision I made was I was not going to allow their rejection to define me. I was not going to allow their brokenness to define me. My identity was going to be in Christ alone. He is my father. He loves me and all love derives from him. I was going to hold on to the truth and see myself the way that God sees me. I had questions. I would ask God, really? I could have been born to anybody. and you, you, you let me be born to these two folks? Please laugh, I did. 
But then God sends me pops. Uh, Lynn Allen Trivet, I consider him one of my dads. And um, Mrs. Trivet, I call her moms. Uh, they've been married for many, many years. God sends pops into my life. I was one of 35 kids that he would pour into underprivileged kids. And, uh, I, you know, I, I learned to know the gospel through their marriage and through their life. Never once did they preach the gospel, but they showed me the gospel. And one day I'm asking pops, I'm like, pops, man, why couldn't you just have been my dad? In a moment of weakness, asking a question, he says to me, son, if I would have raised you, you would have never been as amazing as you are right now. And he says, you know what? I am. I am your father. God gave me the answer. You know, and even years later, he gave me the greatest answer that made my experience of rejection completely worthwhile. Up there in that balcony, I begged my mother to come to church one day. She was here visiting Charlotte. It was Father's Day. I said, hey, if you really love me, it's Father's Day. You're going to come to church, right? And then I sent all my daughters, go to Abuela, come to church. She couldn't say no to the grandkids, right? So she comes to church. And I want to encourage you guys that when you're here worshiping, it matters. It matters. Worship God for who he is. He is worthy of your worship. Raise your hands. Don't worry about who's looking at you. Surrender it all. Sing the songs. My mother was here in that balcony. Me and my wife were worshiping and praising God. And something happened. Something impacted her. She had tears coming down her eyes. She goes back home to Tampa, Florida, tells my sister, I want to go to church. My sister's like, what? You want to go to church? Really? So she takes my mom to church. She hears the gospel. She hears the gospel. She had the ears to hear. And she surrenders her life to Jesus Christ. I'm sitting right there at church. I get a text message, hey, mom, just received Jesus Christ. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. So I call my mom. I said, mom, what happened? She said, you guys inspired me. You guys inspired me. I didn't say nothing to my mom. It was that worship that just moved her. She had an encounter with Jesus Christ through worship. So when you're here on a Sunday morning and when you're not just feeling it, let me tell you something. By you making the decision to worship your Lord, your Savior, your King, it impacts somebody that needs him in the worst way by you just worshiping. Sometimes you don't even have to say a thing. It is so, so important. Please. So take it to the cross. Take it to the cross. Take those feelings to the cross. Jesus was rejected and acquainted with grief. In the prophecy of Isaiah, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, I don't want to minimize anything that you're going through. I, want to, I don't want to minimize your experience, your rejection, your, your grief. Whatever you're going through, I don't want to minimize it. But I want you to know something, that whatever you're going through, not only did Jesus Christ understand, he's gone through that tenfold. He knows. Why is that so important? When you go to him, know that you're talking to a God who became man so that he knew in detail what you're going through, what you're going to go through, and what everybody is going to go through. He's there to listen to you. He understands. He cares and he responds. He came to live a perfect life down the cross for you. That is how he responds. So that you don't have to live with all eternity for that, with this brokenness that you're currently enduring, that you've endured, or that you're going to endure. Our identity is in Jesus Christ alone. When, Jesus, when God became man in Jesus, he not only came to die on the cross, 
and pay for the forgiveness of our sins. He also came to live a perfect righteous life. Why did he do that? He came to fulfill the law because he wanted his righteousness to be credited to you, his perfect life to be credited to you. Why does this matter? doesn't matter what you've accomplished, what success you have, who you are, what titles, what degrees, all that stuff is irrelevant. doesn't matter the brokenness of you, that you've had, the failures that you have, the rejection that you have, how you're feeling. None of that matters. What matters is the life of Jesus Christ that is accredited to you, and that is where your identity lies. So when you feel those emotions of rejection or you feel whatever you're feeling, no that your identity is in Jesus Christ alone. And when God looks at you, he sees a son and daughter, an adopted son and daughter, and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Know that. Have confidence in that. Always remind yourself through worship and through studying the word of God and through hearing the word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? I hope so. So I've shared a lot today, and I'm sure... If you've gone through these emotions, several things are stewing in your head. Perhaps previous rejection, current rejection, perhaps you're going through depression. So I want to take a moment, I want to ask everybody to close their eyes. And I'm going to read a scripture. And I really just want you to meditate on the words that I'm going to read. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, before your brokenness, before regardless of whatever you've experienced. He chose you before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. He always has chosen you. He is still choosing you. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So if you didn't take anything with you today, here's the key, the essence of what I want you to take away. That rejection is real. And even somebody as great as John the Baptist went through it, Jesus experienced it as well. You do not have to stay there emotionally. Move towards to God in faith and surrender it to him. There you will find his love, his acceptance, and your identity.